Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From KMOX Sports. Okay, boys, here we go. Welcome to the Great Bar Sports Open Line. Those bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. Graybar, your distributor for electrical and data comm needs. Here we go. Now, Matt Pauley on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. All right, man, let's get going here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Let's go. On a Wednesday night, we welcome you into another edition. It's a Graybar Sports Open Line here on KMOX. My name is Matt Pauley. Happy for the next two hours. We'll take you till 8 o'clock this evening as we've got uh, a fair amount to get into. We'll talk some uh, City SC soccer. We'll talk Blues hockey. We'll talk uh, college football, the college football playoff rankings coming out yesterday around this time. Uh, guests tonight include uh, Charles Bohm, national writer, MLSsoccer.com. He's going to join us in about 10 minutes. Bill Bender from the Sporting News, who covers college football. Uh, Joe Roderick's going to uh, join us at about uh, 7.20 or so. We'll talk baseball with him. And... Uh, a just-added guest here over the last few moments. We're going to talk with our own Tom Ackerman at uh, 645-650-ish. And the reason we're going to talk to Tom, unfortunately the reason we're going to talk to Tom, uh, and I say that because of the reason surrounding it, not that we're talking to Tom, uh, we just got word in the last 10 to 15 minutes, you heard it during the top of the hour news uh, here on KMOX, legendary basketball coach Bobby Knight has passed away at the age of 83, a complicated legacy when you consider some of the off-court stuff that he was connected with, but one of the all-time great basketball coaches, one of the all-time great basketball tacticians, and someone who... Did he change the game of college basketball? I think he did. And a a larger-than-life persona and somebody who did things his way. And for most, you either loved him or you hated him. And uh, But if, if you loved him, you loved him. And I think more importantly, if he loved you, you were very much loved. And he has passed away. And, uh, you know, you think about the, the area that we live in. We're not that far. There's, there's a lot of Indiana alum uh, around the, the St. Louis area. And obviously, uh, Big Ten country having the University of Illinois not that, not that far away. Uh, he was coaching in the, the Big 12 when Missouri was in the Big 12. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm making any sense in all this. I was just... We found out again, you know, 15, 20 minutes or so. And for some reason, I didn't have any personal connection. I had zero personal connection to, to Bobby Knight. Uh, but there, there's sometimes where people pass away and it kind of punches you in the gut. And, uh, and this is one of them. Uh, sports producer extraordinaire Matt Pajeski back in the house after, uh, after a few days off. Matt, I have been thrown out of a room by Bobby Knight twice in my life. The uh, the first time 
I was doing student radio at K-State, and I was in Lubbock, Texas, and I didn't know anything. Some people might argue that I still don't know anything. I, I did not know anything. We got to the arena. I was doing a women's game. It was a Kansas State-Texas Tech women's game that we were broadcasting on student radio. And I got to the, um, to the arena early to set up all the equipment. I got, up way, I got there way too early, and I just walked in like I owned the place, not knowing anything. And the Texas Tech men's basketball team was practicing, and nobody was allowed in the gym. So we didn't think anything of it. And I, I still remember I go, and I'm, I'm setting up the equipment, and, uh, and Coach Knight was not happy, was not happy at all that we were in his gym. And he came over and kind of started yelling at us, who do you guys think you are? And he he got us out of there. So then uh, there was an SID around, and they were able to kind of tell us what was going on, and we waited that one out. So I remember that. And then another time when I was covering a K-State men's game, we were waiting for his – K-State had won the game in Manhattan. And we, we the assembled media – were waiting in the area that he was going to do his post-game media session, and he was giving it. He was giving it to his team, and our media spot was just one wall across from the locker room, and he informed the SID at Texas Tech that we were making too much noise in the media area and we were all asked to leave that area until he was ready to uh, to talk to us. So I have been thrown out of a room by Bobby Knight twice in my life, and uh, th- that's as close as I've really gone to having any type of personal connection with him. But man, he is uh, he is going. To, I was glad. I, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago. It was in the last couple, two, three years. He kind of made up with the folks at Indiana because that was a. That was a split. That was a divorce that was heated, and everybody was angry at everybody, and he made it very clear how he felt about the folks at Indiana, and he was never going to go back there. And then, uh, was it last year two years ago? I can't remember. We'll talk with Tom Ackerman about this later on this hour. He went back, and he addressed the team, and uh, he was he was honored on the floor in Bloomington. And, man, now especially now that he has passed away, I'm so, so happy that he got to have that moment in Bloomington uh, before before he passed because for everything that he did at Texas Tech, for everything that he did, say, at Army, you, when you think about Bobby Knight, you think about Indiana, you think about Hoosiers basketball, you think about the national championships, you think about uh, the undefeated seasons. So uh, I'm glad that that happened uh, before he passed away, but he passes away at the age of 83. We do have a lot to get into uh, here on the program. Uh, Charles Bohm is going to join us next, national writer, MLSsoccer.com. We'll get his thoughts on the uh, City SC Sporting Kansas City Series and how that's going. We'll uh, be joined by him coming up in just a moment or so. It's Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. 
Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is America's Sports Voice. KMOX. This one tonight is done. Final whistle blows before the clearance from Melia can get away. 4-1. Kansas wins at City Park. That's a sad Joey Zanaboni. We don't get that very often, but uh, that was the case on Sunday night when City SC was on the wrong side of a uh, fairly one-sided decision against Sporting Kansas City. Welcome back in. It is a Gray Bar Sports Open Line. My name is Matt Pauley. We're going to go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line right now, and uh, we welcome on to the program Charles Bohm. He uh, covers MLS soccer for MLSsoccer.com. You follow him on Twitter at CBohm. That's B-O-E-H-M. Charles, uh, you've been so gracious with your time all season long here on KMOX. Uh, thank you for uh, continuing to uh, do that as we uh, continue on through the uh, MLS playoffs. Always a pleasure to be with you, uh, even though uh, a little bit of adversity, which uh, you have to say, uh, as, as down as the City SC fans may feel right now, uh, to be feeling this way not until late October into November is, uh, is a sign of how good the season's been today. Yeah, and if if they lose in two or lose in three, I certainly think that's a place the fans are going to be able to go back to. I don't think they're quite ready for that right now it was they did not play well on sunday night the the intensity the uh the aggressiveness was not so much there that's been part of their dna especially at home this year what how does that happen especially when it's the biggest match of the year well look i mean every team even the best teams uh you know occasionally have a have a night where they just face plan right and nothing goes well um, and this team has simply not been in this situation before, and they were play, playing an opponent who has um, several times, many times over the last you know, half decade or so, and had a lot of collective experience, and I think a strong game plan. And and um, there's just there's sort of certain specific details that add up to the statistical reality that it's actually very difficult to, to beat a team you know, three times, even four times potentially in a season. And that's, you know, that's what this rivalry situation in this series is asking of, of City SC. But uh, but as much debate as there's been and, and, um, and criticism for the most part of the new MLS playoff format, uh, nobody should be loving it more than, than St. Louis right now because in the old format, this was it. Mm-hmm. You were done the other night, and now they've got another shot at it, even though they do have an uphill climb. Charles, in most kind of North American sports, you feel a difference when you get to the playoffs. The games are played a little bit differently. That's true in baseball. That's true in certainly in hockey. In, in, in NBA basketball, the playoffs are very different than the regular season. For folks who are still kind of learning MLS soccer, and soccer is a sport where in most of the biggest leagues, you don't even have playoffs, period. But when we're talking specifically to MLS, how does the game change once you get into the postseason? Well, it's, I think it's a situation that rewards precision. Um, mistakes are punished a great deal more harshly than they are in the regular season. The, the, the intensity just ratchets up a notch or three across the board. And so um, the, the little uh, tactical tweaks that you may see, any new wrinkles, um, any particular matchups, just everything gets amplified, right? If there's, if there's a, a 1v1 that's, that's benefiting one side, it will get exploited quicker and more ruthlessly and more and repeatedly uh, on the other side. And I think, too, the game states start to really weigh heavy. A big, big factor the other night, in my view, 
was going down early. And I was looking back at the stats, and, and City had, had come back a few times, but they really hadn't been in a situation like this where they had a must-win situation and knockout environment. They didn't have particularly good runs in the tournaments, the cup tournaments this year. And so they had just had, didn't have that collective experience of taking that punch and, and being able to adapt and roll with it and respond. To that end, they get down one nothing. They tie it. Not long after, they had an opportunity. They don't. Uh, they don't score. So they would have gone up two one. Instead, it stays one one. And then Sporting KC goes on to to take that three one lead before they get to half. How different is that game if St. Louis has a two one lead? Oh, it's it's night and day. And you know, it's a, there's an element of could have would have should have there, should have there. But that first 45 minutes of a playoff run, it really sets the tone. And I know you you hear players and coaches use that phrase uh, just to exhaustion, but there's a reason for it. That that opening stretch and then how you feel and where you're at going into the locker room. I mean, it's just massive. And to 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 take the repeated blows that they did uh, in that stage just really put them behind the eight ball. Charles Bohm is continuing to join us. Uh, City has been one team at home, and they've been a little bit of a different team on the road. They've been so dominant at home. Now they're in a spot where they have to find a way to pick up a a road win. What do they do to find who they've been at home most of the season and put that kind of effort on the field uh, out in Kansas City? Yeah, I think there's going to be. Uh, I think Bradley Carnell has got to be doing even more film time than usual. You know, these last few days and, and going into the weekend because. You've got to try and find matchups you can exploit or uh, new wrinkles you can throw at the opposition because by now, you know, he and Peter Vermees have faced off so many times that there's, there's so much familiarity. And the question is, you know, can you throw a wrinkle into the mix or, uh, and, and figure out quick, more quickly in the run of play, right? Let's say you, you, have to, you have to do that in the other direction. If Vermees has a little bit uh, of a wrinkle, then you've got to be able to sniff it out quickly and adapt. And I think that's just, again, not something that anybody at City SC has, has had to do to the volume uh, that, that Sporting Kansas City have done, just that, that collective know-how. So, uh, so I'm thinking that there'll be some, some attempts to change maybe the pressing triggers. I think City SC has got to try and set the tone with the physicality. The, the, the big advantage they've had all year is the dictating the tempo and the, and the tone sort of of the matches that they're involved in. And, uh, and, you know, you can, you can create the circumstances uh, for, to dictate terms from there, but it's just going to be a little bit tougher to do on the road. Do you think a lot was made of the one-striker decision in the starting lineup? Do you think we could see a change in that area? I do because they've done so well in it before. You have, you know, you have uh, Guccaccini, you've got um, some you know, long, young legs, I think, that can, that can do that if you do Klaus and Guccaccini up ahead together. You know, you, you kind of get yourself into a little more of a forward-leading posture. Um, I think, in particular, Rachini is, is going to be hungry and eager to, to prove something, um, going back to his hometown and, and, uh, and you know, a little bit of the personal uh, edge that maybe you can get from that. And I think, in general, they, they've got to find that balance between defending with organization and not getting broken down quickly, but also getting the line up high, you know, really compacting the space in which the sporting play and making it hard for them because they are going to try and build out the back you know, Sporting KC is so much the opposite of what St. Louis City are, and, and so we'll, we'll see how that kind of particular contrast shapes up and the, the little details in that first half. He is soccer journalist Charles Bohm. You read him all over the place, including MLSsoccer.com. Follow him on Twitter at CBohm. Charles, thanks so much uh, for the time. I hope you uh, enjoy the continued run of uh, the MLS playoffs, and hopefully uh, City wins at least this weekend and beyond, and we have lots more reasons to uh, to bring you on moving forward. 
<laughs> Likewise. I hope everybody out there enjoys it. Have a good night. All right. Very good. That's Charles Bohm joining us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. We appreciate him taking a few moments with us. Yesterday, the initial college football playoff rankings that come out uh, for Missouri, I think they're in a pretty good spot. There's a lot of one-loss teams uh, right now in college football. And uh, for Missouri, they come in at number 12. You keep doing the, where would they be? Where would they be? if they wouldn't have lost that game to LSU, a game that they could have won, some would argue should have won. Um, I will ask that question to uh, Bill Bender. He's going to join us in just a moment. We'll talk all things college football with him in just a moment as we roll on with the Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. This is the Graybar Sports Open Line. Goes bit swings and he hits a drive. He hits a slammer. On America's Sports Voice, KMOX. A Graybar Sports Open Line does continue right here on KMOX. We're very happy to uh, welcome on via the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. Covers uh, college football for the sporting news. He is Bill Bender. You follow him on Twitter at BillBender92. Bill, thank you for taking some time. How are you? Yeah, hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, um, real quick, before we get to college football, and, and I hope I'm not breaking this news to you, we just learned a little while ago that legendary Indiana basketball coach uh, Bobby Knight, of course, spent some time at Texas Tech as well, uh, had passed away. You are very connected to the college athletics world. I'd be remiss if I didn't get your thoughts on that breaking news of the day. That's sad. I mean, it, you know, obviously any kid that he went to Ohio State, and I grew up in yeah. Ohio, and you know, legendary Big Ten figure. I mean, obviously a lot of controversial incidents, but we don't need to concentrate on them today. I will tell you this. I I coach youth basketball, and we run a variation of Indiana's offense uh, with the back cuts and some of those things. So, I mean, as the basketball X's and those guys, getting guys to play hard, playing man defense, one of the best ever, and obviously one of the largest figures in college basketball history. Yeah, it's uh, it, and you know being in you know, St. Louis is uh, a lot of Big Ten folks in, in St. Louis. So certainly something that I think is uh, catching a lot of people off guard today. No real way to shift, but let's go ahead and uh, jump into the yesterday's college football playoff rankings that were released. I always find it interesting when the uh, committee makes it look look a little different than the AP poll and the coaches poll. Those two polls have gone Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, one, two, three for a while. The committee comes up with Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan. Not that it really matters in the grand scheme of things, but what's your takeaway when you see that looks a little bit different? You sound about in agreement with me that you could probably slot any of those three in any of those spots, and then we can have a conversation about it. But the committee's honoring Ohio State's resume, and that's fair. I mean, the, the record of their opponents is the best among the five remaining unbeatens. The wins against Notre Dame at Notre Dame against Penn State were, were nice wins. They have Marvin Harrison. They're not always pretty. But I like them at one. I like Georgia's body of work, obviously. And then, and their schedule's heating up starting this week. And then Michigan is demolishing teams, but I think they need to see them play a ranked team first. And that's not going to happen for another couple weeks. Yeah, it's not. And it's a, it's a weird year this year because it feels like generally the separation between the, the great teams and the good teams are maybe at three or four or five. You can make the argument that eight, nine, ten deep. These, th- there's not a whole lot separating the top of college football right now. Would you agree with that? I agree. Like, we could do a 12-team playoff starting right now. Yeah. And it might be fun yeah. to figure out. Because uh, all the way down around that old Miss area, 
you know, Mizzou's obviously got an opportunity this weekend. If you've got one loss or less and you're in that top 15, what's the difference? And you bring up an interesting point. The last couple of years, I was kind of resigned to the fact this time of year that, eh, Georgia's going to win it. If not Georgia, it'll be Alabama. I don't feel that way this year. I think Ohio State, Michigan, uh, even Florida State, some of those Pac- – Oregon and Washington out of the Pac-12, and depending on when they catch you, they could beat you. And there's not a huge separation. I still think there's a bit between that top three and everybody else. So you look at Ohio State, Georgia, and Michigan as kind of being that upper echelon, and your line is right there in front of Florida State? Yes, but not a big one. Yeah. Like, because Florida State has an impressive win against LSU, and Florida State uh, has taken care of business. Now the problem for Florida State moving forward a little bit is the ACC only has one other unbeaten team, or one other ranked team, Louisville. They don't have any other unbeatens, and not a lot of meat left on Florida State's schedule. So they, and you know how the committee acts, where if a team slips up, it's easy to, to put them back. Florida State of those remaining unbeatens has the worst, their opponents that are left have the worst record. Missouri, some would argue, should have beat LSU. They certainly could have beat LSU. If we were talking about an 8-0 and Missouri team right now, where do you think they would be slotted in at the moment? That's such a good question. Four. Really? I think they would be four or five. I think maybe five or – okay, now you got me spinning a little bit. That's <laughs> such a good question. I would say between – I would put them at five. I think they would be between Washington and Florida State. I think they would give them credit for that LSU win, which would be the same as Florida State. And they've been really good this year. And, and one of the reasons why I love that trio of offensive player playmakers they have. Uh, Cook has been great. He's been accurate. Luther Burden, absolute stud, always open. And then Schrader running the football. And they're going to play with a lot of confidence this weekend. Can they go down to Sanford Stadium and win? I'm not sure. I thought that line looked high at first glance. Um, They're going to play a motivated Georgia team where Kirby Smart's going to be banging in their head for the next 96 hours that they're number two and they're disrespected. And nobody is better at that psychology somehow than Kirby Smart. But, um, yeah, I think it makes for a great game. It, last year, Missouri gave Georgia everything they could handle in a game that was played in Columbia. Does that play into this at all? Yeah, absolutely. I remember watching that game last year because as writers, we have to be in position when one of those big upsets happen. And one of the things that Mizzou did in that game, and I, I know you watched it too, they, they got after Stetson Bennett. They really did. They got after him. Now, Georgia knocked it out with a couple late touchdown drives, but if they can Carson Beck and maybe force a couple turnovers and make him uncomfortable without Brock Bowers, I know it didn't matter last week, but Brock Bowers is such a difference maker. He took over the Auburn game when push came to shove there. And if they can protect Cook just enough to get the ball out quickly and not turn the ball over, chance to make that a fourth quarter game i've been on record for a couple weeks saying of these three games for georgia missouri Ole miss tennessee i thought missouri would be the toughest challenge i'm not saying i know what radio station i'm on i'm not pandering (laughs) i really thought that all along 
Bill Bender, who covers college football for the Sporting News, continuing to uh, join us. He's one of the best uh, out there covering uh, college football. If it's if the top four does not end up being the top four as it is right now, what is that team that currently is on the outside looking in that you think has the best chance to be in that college football playoff? I think Oregon's really dangerous. That's hardly original because a lot of people see that too. Um, the way that they just – I still feel like a rematch with Washington, I would probably pick Oregon to win. I was very impressed with how they went into Utah. I wasn't impressed with some of the coaching decisions in that Washington game, especially late in the half when they refused to take points. But that's life when you get in those big games, and I think Dan Lanning will learn from it. Um, and I haven't been impressed with Washington since. The last two weeks, they did not play well against Arizona State. Arizona State really got after Penix a little bit. They played great against Stanford last week defensively. So one week the offense was a little off. Then they play USC this week in the Coliseum. I think they're going to get the best version of Caleb Williams going against them with Penix on the other sideline because the, I mean, this is total theory, but with the NFL draft implications with those two quarterbacks. Alabama is still lurking, and we know Alabama is Alabama. Is is there still an, a path for them if they if they make their way uh, all the way to the SEC championship game and win that? Are they in the college football playoff? Well, I think if you're in everybody else, you're rooting against that scenario because yeah. I think that would be one way to get the SEC East champion and Alabama into the playoff. So if you're the Ohio State-Michigan loser, for example – or your Penn State, and you're kind of lurking in there, uh, that would be bad for you. But they keep defying reality. Like, I watch them, and then the first half, it's ugly. And Jalen Milrow will piece together a couple good drives and then have a couple bad drives. They don't really run the ball that great. And um, Dallas Turner's really good. They get a lot of tackles for loss. Their secondary's been better. They've cleaned up the penalties. And Nick Saban finds a way. I mean, you and I know that we've been watching this for how long? Since, like, he was at LSU. He just, they find a way to hang around and stay in this national championship picture. They're not, they're like Dracula or whatever Halloween (laughs) villain you want to use. He is uh, Bill Bender, covers uh, college football for the Sporting News. You uh, follow him on Twitter, at BillBender92. Uh, Bill, it's been a while since we've talked. He's talked to you in a, in a former role all the time, and I'm so glad that I was able to talk to you, and hopefully we can get you on KMOX here uh, fairly often moving forward. Anytime. Just give me a call. And, uh, yeah, once again, just want to pass on uh, condolences to the Knight family. That that certainly, that I didn't see that before we came on. So, uh, um, yeah, it's really good. Bill Bender joining us here uh, on the program, and uh, I, I, I clearly caught him off guard on the news about uh, Bobby Knight that we opened up with as uh, we learned just a little while ago, we learned just before we came on the air, that the legendary basketball coach had passed away at the age of 83. Uh, when we come back in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Tom Ackerman, he is a proud graduate of the University of Indiana, and uh, I know he has a lot of reverence for Coach Knight. Uh, it's it's hard for me to talk about people, the stature of Bobby Knight, when I don't have that emotional connection, when I don't have that personal connection. And we've got when we have an opportunity to talk to somebody who does, I want to take that opportunity because uh, Bobby Knight is a is a as big of a figure in the history of college basketball as you can find. 
So uh, we'll take a break, and uh, when we come back, we are going to be joined uh, by Tom Ackerman. We'll get uh, his thoughts on the passing of legendary basketball coach Bobby Knight. We'll do that in just a moment as we roll on with the Graybar Sports Open Line on KMOX. Our sports open line does continue here on KMOX. We're about to go to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. We always enjoy being able to uh, talk to our sports director here at uh, KMOX, Tom Ackerman. But uh, we're talking to him today for reasons that we would rather not be talking to him about. Uh, Legendary basketball coach Bobby Knight has passed away at the age of 83. Tom is a graduate of the University of Indiana and wanted to uh, bring him on. Tom, thanks so much for taking a few moments with us today. How are you? Matt, thank you very much. Yeah, tough day for sure. What uh, What was the first thing that went through your mind when you heard the news? Um, that my life changed the day that I met Bob Knight, and I am not the only one. That I have so many people that I know, and there are thousands of people that had their lives altered by Coach Knight in the best of ways. He took great care of me as a student at Indiana after my father had passed away. Um, and I started to think about the the fact that all the people and experiences that I've been able to go down this particular path of life because I met Coach Knight. Short story is that through a mutual friend, Larry Ziegler, a St. Louis native who played on the PGA Tour, um, he and my dad were great friends. He was playing in a celebrity tournament in Colorado. He told us when when we met up with him that day to make sure to say hi because he was playing with Bob Knight. They were great friends. And as a 16-year-old kid, I was a caddy here in St. Louis, and I was asked to to caddy for Coach Knight. Uh, So we were able to spend some time together. um, And through that day, he asked if uh, he could set up a tour of campus for me. Hmm. And, uh, and I toured Indiana University, and I fell in love with the place, and I was successfully recruited by Bob Knight. Uh, I ended up not becoming a student manager, which I think was his aim at that time. That's what I was told. Um, I ended up becoming a broadcaster at the school, and, and I was in awe of his confidence. He gave me a great confidence, a uh, great understanding of basketball, but it was his kindness uh, and loyalty in a very tough time in my life. My dad had died of a heart attack right before I went to college that uh, he and I are forever intertwined. And so, you know, th- there's so many things about his career as a basketball coach. And, of course, in my opinion, he's the greatest to ever do it. But it was the behind-the-scenes things that people don't know um, that I think made him very special. I, during this entire show, like I, I haven't brought up the the chair toss and things like that because I always <laughs> lamented the fact for him that those are the things that he, in large part, were, was known for, the way it ended at Indiana and some of the other things. And obviously that's part of his legacy. I'm not trying to sweep that under the rug. But to your point, when you do talk to people who had personal relationships with him, the impact he made on people is incredible. He had a very short temper that's very well known, and he did it in the public eye, and those very close to him didn't uh, really enjoy that he did that. But you know what? As he always said, like the Frank Sinatra song, he did it his way. You know, I did it my way. And, and he, uh, there's no denying that his teams played discipline. They, uh, but he really pioneered the motion offense that you see in basketball today. Countless coaches in Indiana 
wanted to run an offense and a team like him. Um, his players graduated. And while things got tough behind the scenes, uh, in terms of that discipline, he was known as the general. Uh, he had their utmost respect throughout the rest of their lives. He made boys into men and he took uh, great care in the university. Uh, it did not end well there, but I'm so thankful that he did come back to Assembly Hall and was honored uh, before his health really deteriorated because he did give so much back to Bloomington, where he uh, did live the final years of his life. He gave so much back to the university and did a lot of it, Matt, behind the scenes that no one to this day know. I mean, he did so much without cameras, without attention, without press releases. He did it because he cared about academics and athletics. I was going to ask you about that reconciliation. He was honored. He spoke to uh, to the team. Uh, that was something that at one point looked like was never going to happen based off his relationship with that university when, when, he, uh, when he was forced out. Uh, I have to think that that moment, especially now that he has passed, brings a lot of peace to people who care about the Hoosiers. You know, Indiana University basketball will go on for years, and it was there years before Bob Knight. I mean, they won two national championships before he set foot on that campus. He won a national championship as a player at Ohio State. He was a terrific coach at Army, uh, Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Uh Think about the impact he had on his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went on to coach at Texas Tech and actually was successful there. But make no mistake about it, from 1971 to 2000, Bob Knight won three national championships, went to five Final Fours, won 11 Big Ten titles. He is Indiana University basketball. And to have him on that campus and in that moment, uh, we're all very grateful that we got to experience that and most importantly that he did. Tom, I know it's, this is emotional. I, I appreciate you being so willing to to share your thoughts, and, and we can just hear it in your voice how you're feeling. So, uh, and, and on a night where you've got some family stuff going on, for you to take a few moments to come on Sports Open Line and share your thoughts and, and, and just memories of Coach Knight, I really, really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the call, Matt, and you know, I, I thank you for thinking of me, and I do want to uh, say that you know that there is no question that the stories are going to continue about Coach Knight. And that's the thing about life is that, you know, we can continue to celebrate people and what they did and their impact on sports, society, whatever walk of life that you're in. And it is about what you do in your life for others and the legacy that you leave. And I can assure you that Robert Montgomery Knight did that very thing for a lot of people and didn't ask for a lot in return, quite honestly. Um, and he was, you know, just happened to go on to have one of the great careers uh, in basketball history. Mm. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, Tom, thank you so much. That's Thanks, uh, buddy. That's KMOX Sports Director Tom Ackerman. Yeah, the the moment I heard the news, I, I wanted to get Tom on, and um, I didn't know the, the entire I, – I knew that Tom had a relationship with Coach Knight – uh, that story that he told about being on the golf course and getting to know him and uh, being recruited by him, uh, I didn't know that until just now, which makes me uh, that much happier that uh, I was able to get uh, Tom on the program and uh, just bring a little bit of um, texture to the news of the day that a, a legendary college basketball coach, a, a legendary figure in 
the history of sports in the United States of America and Bob Knight has has passed away. And I just it's it's weird. Like I I, I didn't go to Indiana. I never met Coach Knight outside of being in a room with him a couple times for uh, for media type stuff. But you know, th- there was zero zero personal relationship with him. Um, I can't tell you why I feel this way, but I just keep thinking back to that moment that he was honored at Indiana when he returned, and I'm just so grateful that that happened. And again, I've, I don't know why I feel this way. I, sometimes you're in these moments where you feel a certain emotion and you're going, why, what, what, why, why do you, why do you care so much? Why do you feel this way? Um, but I know I have an idea. I can sense what he gave to that university during his career there. And it didn't end the way he'd like it to end. Most times in sports, it doesn't end the way you want it to end. He was able to go back. And at the now when we look, you know, on the, the final chapter of his life, he was able to go back and reconcile, and that's a really, really important thing. This is a Gray Bar Sports Open Line on KMOX. Indiana wins the championship. Keith Smart is the hero.